yeah, uh, okay. In that case, welcome to the broadcast with me, Tom Ashworth, and Chris Sharp. Um, you may not know who we are, but we are documenting this rather unique period in our lives and probably in this century. We are in the middle of a global pandemic, though I like to think we're about three quarters of the way through. But the future is sort of uncertain, I think you'd say at this point. Yeah, I'd say it's all up in the air. You know, it's uh, it's up in the air like a juggler who's decided to look away at a pretty girl when he's throwing all his balls up in the air. Except the balls are actually grenades, and he's actually just, you know, he's trying to. He's been going very well, but uh, you know, he's thrown the ball in the air, and anything could happen when they start coming down. That's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's it's so like a so many of those. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, well, I want to say it's it's got progressively more serious over time. Um, yeah, we've it, reached hundred thousand deaths. Yeah, um, and and of course we'll talk about that. And, and this podcast, I suppose, is a way of documenting our sort of thoughts and feelings about things at the moment. Um, and you know, then we will, uh, I hope, look back at it, at it in the future. Um, anyway, I was, I was going to ask uh, the the first topic that I we will probably discuss is um, where we were when the pandemic began. Um, and when you'd consider that it, be- it, it began, really, um, for me, I thought it sort of really began in March, although it was it kicked off early in other countries. So, uh, Chris, where were you when the pandemic started and when would you consider that it did, in fact, start? I mean, I think there's two. I think we all have. I think there's, a, there's it's a pandemic with multiple beginnings. I think there's a factual beginning, which is the day the WHO declared that it was a pandemic. Which I think was something like mid March, like March 11th or March 12th, and then I think there was there was I think there was a moment. There's another pandemic beginning, which is when it, it hit it hit us in, as individuals and individually yeah. a moment of like, oh crap, this is actually quite big, and this is actually quite scary. And I think for me that was probably the day I went down to Brighton to stay with my brother because at some point we agreed. We talked about where we're going to be for the lockdown, and I agreed I wanted to be in Brighton with my brother because I figured it'd be better to stay with family rather than be on my own or be somewhere which is unfamiliar. Well, not unfamiliar, but like it was a choice between Norfolk or Brighton, and I thought Brighton would be far more stimulating an environment. Yeah, in. I remember that. Um, that was sort of when around the time when people anticipated that it would be a lock, a national lockdown. I remember there was talk about a lockdown in London initially. Um, and that was the point where, for me, I think it became serious in the sense that it became more than just videos on a Facebook feed talking about how this was officially declared a pandemic to, you know, you had um, shelves in the in the shops that were empty. There was a lack of paracetamol, ibuprofen, I remember quite distinctly. And at that point, when there were rumours going around that they would lock down London, they would, through some method there would be military blockades yes i remember that very distinctly sitting in london thinking there were genuine rumors going around that they would get the military in a sort of a shawn of the dead style way and 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 block entrances to london perhaps on the motorway or something which didn't materialize in the end um but that was a point for me when it became very real and when i remember for me it was again mid-march so very similar to you i think as it was for everyone and basically, my parents said, okay, we will pick you up on the Tuesday. I can't remember if it was a Tuesday, which was, let's say, three days away. Then a few hours later, it became, let's pick you up on the Saturday, which was whatever. And then it became, within a few hours, within a few hours after that, it became, okay, we're going to pick you up tomorrow morning and take you back because we don't know what's going on here. There's probably going to be a lockdown of some sort. And it's best for us probably to stick together before that happens, you know. Mm. Oh, I remember for me, it was like I said, it was a choice between Norfolk or Brighton. Because my parents going to Norfolk and my brother was going to Brighton. And I love my parents to bits, but I just thought being in lockdown with my brother would be easier. And particularly as my other brother also lives down there, so there'd be three, there'd be three brothers in sure. Brighton, which means we could meet up in a social distance way for social distance walks if we wanted to. Yeah, and um, I suppose I was also going to say for you, for example. I guess it was also, as it was for me, you kind of think, okay, what location do I want to pick to sit out this pandemic, at least for this initial lockdown? You know, yeah. and I, I would imagine at that point, um, would I be right in saying you were thinking, okay, well, I could either be in, in, in London where it already seems to be, things can be quite um, claustrophobic at times, 
or I could have a change of scene, spend this first lockdown in Brighton where things will perhaps be a a bit calmer. I mean, that was certainly my thinking for Bristol. I mean, my thinking for Brighton was, I mean, our our predicament was was a bit different because we were actually in the process of moving house. Right. So, like, the house I was staying in this time last year was um, quite, it was a house which we were only meant to be living in for six months because, but because of building work on the house I actually live in, which I, I actually call home. Right. We ended up being there for a year. So, and this house that we were living in, uh, you know, in which is about ten minutes from where I am now, uh, it was it was it was it was a complete bodge job. Like it was a horrible house to be in. Like the bathroom was awful. It was a someone who tried to do an extension and really, really made a terrible job of it. And the house down in house li- and living with my brother, the house down there, which used to be filled with students. That was a lot bigger. And also the thing about Brighton is that you've got the sea and you've got the South Downs really nearby. Yeah. So, like, if you want to go out, you've got lots of natural space to go and cycle, run. You know, you've got the South Downs 10-minute ride away. You've got the sea just down there. You know, there's lots of... If, like, if, for example, and there were times when, you know, of course, you you say with someone for six weeks, you're going to want to get away from each other at some point. Yeah, or of course. need some space. Brighton's one of the best places to do that because the variety of places to go yeah. can just exist. And particularly when the rates start to get lower, you can actually go for a swim. Uh, but I, th- I imagine for you, it was all similar with Bristol. You, it's not only you going to be with family, but you also got Somerset, and you got the uh, you got the you got the you got you you got some good natural landmarks near you, and you've also got the sea. Yes, that's true. And um, that was thinking behind it, because obviously, when I was living in London, I was still in the final year of my degree. And I, uh, I was living not so much in a, you know, reasonably sized accommodation, but a studio apartment in a rather cramped terrace house, you know. And so at that point, uh, my only options are really stay as much as possible inside this one room or go outside maybe to one or two local parks um, or go back to Bristol where my family was based in a place where obviously rates were lower but it wasn't just that it was also the fact that um, there were more places to kind of go out if you see what I mean into the open so you're absolutely right you know we got um, the River Seven the Seven Estuary uh, very nearby loads of green spaces and uh yeah, that, that, that was definitely something that motivated me to get out of London, basically. Um, yeah, uh, so so that was me, really. Um, mm. I mean, being in London, I actually did have to come back to London at some point, at uh, one point during the lockdown, because, of course, we were moving house. Yeah. But, of course, I had to, also, because we didn't know, didn't know how long it was going to be down in Brighton for, I had to um, go back up to London to get more of my stuff. And I had to go up about three weeks later, and my dad had to do the same. So right. we agreed that he would go down on Saturday and I would wait until the Sunday so that we wouldn't see each other just because of... Just yeah, because of, of the situation, yeah, of course. And, and so we didn't want to take any chances. Uh, and so I went up on the Sunday and I was driving up the A23. And, of course, you know, do you remember this scene, the, 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 so many pictures of quiet motorways and quiet yeah. streets? I was driving up the motorway and I suddenly realised I could see where I... Ch- I looked in my rearview mirrors and I could see my tracks... Wow. Of, of where I checked, because there was a layer of dust on the motorway, so I could see where I checked, where I and other people had changed lanes. That's one of those moments, isn't it, where you wish you could somehow document it or record it, but it's just, it's so extraordinary, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, as- I could have I could have stopped in the middle of, I could have, and don't worry, I didn't, but I could have stopped in the middle <laughs> of the motorway and barely 10 cars would have passed in an hour but yeah it was it was one of those words so i just thought this is surreal and i, and I, yeah. and I thought and i thought and i thought i thought was, i thought like you know maybe dust to come off a lorry but no like you know it was a genuine like two or three miles of just seeing where people change lanes and seeing tracks it was like a very thin layer of dust just because of so little road usage yeah it sounds like a extraordinary spectacle to say the least and and that that's what it was like you know around especially around london where it's usually so busy i think bristol was perhaps yes it was quieter but it's also being a fairly rural city and where most people live out in the suburbs where it's quite quiet anyway i wouldn't say the difference was hugely noticeable i remember you said that uh there were certain songs that you remember that 
remind you of that time period and i've certainly got my own songs as well um oh, yes, it's what two. songs would you say remind you of that distinct period uh well the i went so the lockdown started on the monday because i think that's when it officially started or something like that whatever it was and i went down on yeah. thursday just so i could bed in because i had a part-time job starting on the monday i think and uh it was raining and i remember i packed up i packed up my clothes to the sound of cledelum uh-huh. and then when i fill, and then i went to fill, when i went to go and fill up with fuel it was to the sound of post malone and circles Those two sounds, both those two, both two songs, I associate with that lockdown. And it's interesting, isn't it, how um, certain songs? It's not like we choose which songs they are necessarily, but when those songs are, are played, let's say at these key moments, when you play them again later, they t- kind of take you back there, you know. Oh, definitely. I mean, I strangely enough, this is non-pandemic related, but th- there was one Coldplay song. Uh, which is called Everyday Life, and I associate uh, the night before. I associate that with the morning after a night out in January last year. It was the Winter Wonderland Christmas party. Ah, and Winter Wonderland was basically spending thirteen hours stuck in a shed. Uh, Doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it's not fun. No, really, no, really isn't. And anyway, there was an after party. There was a Christmas party. Well, after party, which is on January sixth. No, January fifth or January fourth or fifth, whatever it was. And sure. I thought it was going to be quite a dull affair. I don't worry, I'm getting to it. It's it quite a dull affair, but I ended up, and I thought I'd be, I'd leave about 11 p.m. I ended up getting home like four o'clock in the morning because it was quite a wild party, party, um, you know, in the uh, in the legal sense. And um, <laughs> the next, and I had, you know, had a lovely time. And the next morning, I went through, I went to the gym. No, I went for a drive to pick up something. I don't know why. I just remember driving over Wandsworth Bridge in my car, and every day life was on the stereo. And oh it yeah. Was just for whatever reason, the sun it was the sun was rising on like a cold January morning. The sun was up, but it was and it was a blue sky, but it wasn't that high near. So it must have been like eight o'clock in the morning. I was listening to Radio One, and I just associate everyday life with that night out. Strangely enough, but it, yeah, it's it, strange it, how that happens, isn't it? They just become one becomes they just become synonymous, and so whenever I hear everyday life, I think of that sort of early January time. Yeah, well, I mean, what what are your lockdown songs? Okay, so I remember I was sat in my studio apartment in this cramped Victorian terraced house over in Tulse Hill, and it was the evening, so it was fairly dark, early March, and I was sat on the bed in this dimly lit one room apartment with the hall light on. And I had the radio on, um, on this boombox I had on the table. And on it came on Avalon by Roxy Music. sitting there thinking it's over (laughs) you know like some east end gangster that's just been nicked by the police because that was the end of my undergraduate student days and you have to remember at that time um just two weeks before we were all still going to lectures to seminars it was still fairly normal and you know within a fairly short space of time it went to national lockdown so that tune for me whenever i hear it brings me back to that time when i was sat there you know, in that flat in London thinking, wow, this is a, you know, it's the end of a chapter. Oh, I was on mute. I can definitely <laughs> relate to that level of uncertainty. But there's another song which sort of left me feeling that, except at a more extreme level. Right. Um, and this is a song which I, at this point, one of my lowest moments. So uh, it was, it's a Christmas song. Well, it's technically a Christmas song, and the person who wrote it says it's a Christmas song, but it doesn't sound like one. Uh, but Liam Gallagher released one, and it's called... Uh, all you're dreaming of and it was i first started listening to, i listened to it uh on the night london went into tier four 
Uh, oh, now, you know, for the listeners, this was... Whenabouts was that now? Uh, Mid-December. Early to mid-December, I think. Or yeah. either, either that or late November, I can't remember. Now, and as far as I can remember, that was actually only a few days before there was another national lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, so you were saying it was a, a Liam Gallagher Christmas song. Yeah, so it's uh, and it's a great song, but like I I I first heard a few. I'm a I'm a I'm a Gallagher fan of both of both of them, and it's there was just some lyrics in it, and I was I got it suddenly got to about two o'clock in the morning, and I because I'd had a late supper, and I was in the house on my own, and then I heard I started playing this song, and just it just it just got to me, like. Um, the, I've got the lyrics up here. Like I think it's when it got to this part that I just went into this pit of like sadness. It was like he says, "Is it the kind of love that'll be there when the world is at its worst? That'll cover you in kisses unrehearsed when you're losing ground and still tell you that you're worth." Is it the kind of love that'll be because i've been single for a long time maybe it's also because i was it's been a tough old year mentally for a lot of people for yeah and it was stress of doing a uni degree but i just i at that very moment when i heard those lines and i'd already listened to the song about three times previously that evenings i just kept thinking to myself how many people i just kept thinking over and over again how many how many are gonna die how many are gonna die how many are gonna die and i, I just couldn't get that thought in my head and it was a really really low moment and i i messaged some Message of uh, a friend of mine about it, and his response was really rather irritating. He he started going on to me about stoicism, and he said that he said we've got a great solution for this. And the, whatever reason, the mess, the the way he'd written it just made it sound really patronising. <laughs> and I was like, I like he said, well, there's a he said like human beings have something have developed something great for this. It's called stoicism. I mean, just the way it was written just made me go, this is not mm. what I need right now. I don't need some preaching. Yeah, whilst it might work for some, it it doesn't work for everyone, certainly, you know. um, I mean, sorry, I mean, they're a lovely fella, but it was just one of those words. I was just like, okay, maybe preaching to me about philosophy wasn't the best I think to do. Um, (laughs) But how, I mean, Bristol, what was the situation in Bristol? Right, so for a long time it was it was pretty good, and at that time it was a kind of sigh of relief because I remember distinctly for the five days after I returned from London being quite worried because I was thinking, well, I did come into brief contact with people when I was leaving London. Um, And when I mean brief contact, I mean contact that now wouldn't be considered risky. For example, I think I topped up my electricity meter at the corner shop and so on. And I remember after those five days were up, sort of feeling quite a bit of relief, thinking, okay, you know, in London, it seems to be a real crisis at the moment. Whereas here, it, it felt more relaxing in a sense that it didn't seem to be really kicking off, you know, uh, in Bristol uh, at that time, which was certainly, you know, a, a relief. And I, I believe it was to a degree similar in Brighton, or, or was it a bit worse? I think it all depends on our understanding. I think. It's it's strange because I think it all depends on our existing understanding of the virus. So I went down yeah. to Brighton because I thought, you know, that because I saw how bad the rates were in London, and I thought in Brighton, if I like I said, it, it's easy to get into wide open spaces, but in Brighton it kind of I didn't really keep an eye on the figures. I confess, I just saw saw the national figures, and I just kept an eye on what London was doing. Yeah, I mean so, that's sort of fair enough. Yeah. So it was, it was, an, so like, I don't know what, how bad the situation got in Brighton, but I do know there was definitely a point where Brighton was worse than London. Because really? London, yeah, because in London, because at some, at one point, I think about up to six weeks, suddenly London started getting better. It did, didn't and it? Yes. And suddenly, and for, and but even though London had gone into lockdown at the same time as Brighton, there was a point where London was suddenly like 
amazingly good and Brian was still really bad yeah like on the figures and I remember sort of thinking well this is weird and then Brian duly followed about three weeks later but now I keep a daily eye on the data so it's a ranking there's 315 uh, constituencies communities whatever in the UK and for the past oh god ooh, six weeks six seven weeks I've been keeping an eye on where North where North Norfolk where my parents live Wandsworth where I live and where Brighton my brother lives like where they are and like Wandsworth and Brighton sort of Wandsworth got up to like 33rd out of 315 at its peak and then Brighton got to maybe like 50 52 and then they've slowly both been going down over the past three or over the past like seven days it's fascinating to watch yeah yeah it was uh it was a roller coaster in that sense you know and, and in that's again Bristol it was very good for a long time but quite recently and I think even now it sort of rose up to being a level of uh I guess not really critical but sort of medium on the list of um affected counties I think it's because there's a delay you know yeah so London, that's true London was yeah. the epicenter and therefore everyone was sort of London was the epicenter of it all and then the north got really bad for a long time and then as London got bad north was actually quite low and then it's sort of rippling out so you know I remember East London was really has been was really bad a few weeks ago but now most of the pressure is on a lot more pressure is going up north because it's just the ripple effect and because in London it's more in London it's easier to see a noticeable change because of how interconnected it is yeah that's true yeah. a lot of people coming and going so you can see if the measures are having an effect which is why we're sort of seeing London boroughs going green at the moment which is great well, yeah that is certainly good news um, and it sort of brings us into I guess the other topic I wanted to discuss, which is how have our attitudes changed uh, to the virus over time? Um, so would you say that, I mean, obviously, I think for me at least, and for a lot of people, there was a bit of a roller coaster from thinking this is like the flu at the time when it was just breaking the news in January to this is the Black Death in March to thinking, okay, this is bad, but it is avoidable, you know, under the right circumstances by June, July, and now to a point of thinking, you know, um, sort of had enough. How long? How much longer are we going to be in lockdown? What was your sort of change in attitude to the virus over time? Oh man, I was. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to do what what Dominic Cummings did and say I wrote a blog saying it was going to be a complete, you know, cluster cluck. Um, which is the kindest way to put it. I was very naive, uh, you know, very naive about it. I mean, like I was, I was feeling cautious, but like I, there was this one thing I wrote on Facebook when they were talking about restrictions, and I wrote something really blithe, and I still regret it to this day, saying, "Oh, I'm glad the restrictions aren't coming in too quickly." And then someone, a friend of mine, commented below saying, "You're going to regret posting this." And ah. a few days later, and a few days later, I then deleted the post, but I still regret putting it because of just how bad it has got so you can't find the post anymore it's deleted but i was really naive about it and now i am quite strict actually like today in i was thinking i had to go to Southside, and i'm gonna go back after this is recorded to uh drop off my specs to get them pre-glazed and there was a guy walking past me and i saw said i've said i corrected two people on wearing masks well, i actually said to them your, your mask belongs above your nose and not below it. Yeah. And it's just which so... It and that's, the, that's the thing which so infuriates me because, like, you're sitting on the tube because I was about to go into uni for my law course and there are people just sitting there with their mask below their nose and I, you so want to say to them, you do realise what you're breathing out of, like, your nose? Yes, you're breathing out your fucking nose, which... You, sorry, apologies for saying. <laughs> breathing out your nose, which is where which is where your germs are coming out of, which is where COVID comes out of if you've got it. And it's just the lack of awareness, the lack of people still not wearing masks, still not wearing it above their nose. I mean, we've had nearly a year of this, and people still can't wear a face covering correctly. It's, I mean, I know I'm passionate about it, but that's because it's such a simple thing to do. Yeah, so obviously people wearing masks, um, obviously it's something new for our society. We didn't used to do it before, apart from commuters on bikes, to avoid breathing in fumes. And it's... Yeah, I, I can't really comment on, on public transport too much myself because I 
haven't really used it at all since this all began. Um, my only experience was working at a warehouse in Amazon where if you... They were very strict about masks. Um, they actually had COVID marshals in blue high-vis jackets going around. And if you were not two metres apart from co-workers or you were not wearing a mask properly, you could get essentially written up, which to specify means basically your name gets taken down and I think your manager might give you a bollocking. Um, and if you accumulate a certain number of bollockings, you could get fired, basically. Um, so quite serious. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, at my university, they're, they're very strict. Like, they temperature checked us on the way in, there are hand sanitizer stations everywhere, they had socially distanced classrooms, online learning. They've had a lot, we've had a lot of exams online. And yeah. so they, I mean, that's what's been great about, you know, we felt safe studying, but we've been able to do it in person. However, this term, we don't think personally that we'll be going in at all. And so, the, I mean, it's just, so much is up in the air at the moment. And it's, I think, I, in terms of like, I think the thing which I think I know we'll talk about this later, but I think the biggest thing which has come into my lexicon or the biggest thing which has come into my horizon on a health perspective as well as COVID and trying not to catch that and subsequently getting ill is mental health. Because it's just absolute killer at times. And you know, I'm fortunate that I decided to do a degree because because I couldn't face another year out. Yeah, but there are times when you are like, as I mentioned, with you know uh, that Liam Gallagher song, where it just gets to you, and it got to the point where I know I'll, I've got to the point where with regards to my own mental health, I actually broke down last Monday, broke down in tears, and you know it's taken a, it's taken an entire pandemic for me to realise on a personal level that actually I'm not going through a rough patch, that I am genuinely not mentally well. You know, I think, and it's it's one of those sort of things which is it's finally it's taken a once in a lifetime pandemic touch wood for me to realise that actually what I thought were rough patches was actually maybe something actually wasn't one wasn't a bunch of rough patches. It was actually just something which I hadn't did, haven't dealt with or got diagnosed properly. I mean, we were just yeah. It's interesting you say that um, because I think the conditions that this pandemic have created certainly bring out any underlying mental health conditions um that people may have and um i don't know what 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 do you think about it do you think do you think that's the case well i think there's definitely a mental health crisis going on and then there will be a mental health crisis afterwards i mean there's been lots of studies done on young people and more than half say that if their mental health was all right beforehand it isn't anymore or if their mental health was not so good then it's even worse now um, yeah, and so there's definitely a mental health epidemic pandemic. It's a panda. It's an it's a it's a epidemic within a pandemic, which after this pandemic is going to become a pandemic because not only will we have people feeling the effects of isolation or people are stressed because of careers, but we'll also have people a lot of young people mourning because of course you know we've had over a hundred thousand yeah. deaths now, and those young people have lost grandparents, parents, some. You know, young people have been lucky not to be affected majorly, but does hasn't stopped young people, and I'm talking about under 30s here, from dying. And so there's going to be a lot of baggage which needs to be right. sorted out. I wonder to what extent these mental health problems will remain for people and to what extent people readjust to normal life quite quickly. I mean, I really don't know the answer to that, actually. Uh, I think with regards... The ways out. I think vaccine. I think vaccines. The vaccine and obeying social distancing. That's the main avenues of getting out. Um, I think in terms of, you know, uh, what happens with the new normal. I think it's going to become like the flu vaccine. Every year, once a year, you get a new COVID vaccine. That's going to be it. And I think it will. It will become. It it will become a case of every year you everyone gets the COVID vaccine, and you know, and that just becomes something you do in the same way that students get the meningitis vaccine, in the same way that people get the flu vaccine every year. And that vaccine, like your iPhone, will be updated for the latest requirements of coro- of coronavirus. I think it will be a long time before we go back to scenes that we saw in February, January of packed nightclubs. 
Because I think even after, even after they declare, yeah, we've beaten it, people are still going to be cautious. You know, people are still going to be afraid of crowds. We're going to feel very uncertain. And I think mask wearing, one of the things I think will stay is actually mask wearing. I think those of us who are still feeling cautious and those of us who feel more comfortable wearing masks will continue to do so. Because, I mean, in places like Japan and China, it's part of the culture to wear a mask on public transport. It's a, it's also a sign of decent. Also, in I recently discovered that in amongst Japan and China, when they came over here, sometimes they will wear a mask when they've got a, like a common cold, when they've got a cold, just out of decency. So I think we'll start to see more of that for a time permeating throughout our culture. People wear masks out of decency rather than out of necessity. Um, but I meant to ask, how, how has your mental health been? Yeah, so, you know, it's it's uh, fluctuated, I think, um, over, over that time period. One key difference, I think, um, between me and you last year was the fact that Whereas you did your final university exams a year previous, I was sort of in the middle of them last year. And that had a silver lining because on the one hand, yes, it was extremely stressful. Um, you know, when you're fighting to get the best grade you can um, and you're having to do it all from home, which is, uh, isn't necessarily the best environment, you know, and you don't have all the resources you'd, you'd like to have. And it's a lot of stress and anxiety. But on the other hand, the sort of first lockdown passed me by quite I want to say I I didn't notice it hugely you know I was kind of thinking lots of people were commenting how weird it was but for me it didn't feel particularly weird anyway because I was having to spend each and every day writing my dissertation and researching it um, and then of course I think after that in the months following you know you had cases sort of stabilizing over the summer didn't you and it kind of uh there was a degree of normality or kind of, I suppose, what people call a new normal, you know, so people were more relaxed, um, but there was certainly an awareness um, of, of infection still occurring, obviously. Um, and then we had the second lockdown, which happened, it was December, wasn't it? Somewhere around then. Um, and again, that sort of passed me by, quite again i didn't particularly notice it because i was doing uh, i was working at amazon at the time which was a very mundane job very sort of depressing in its own way because it was you go in when there's when it's dark you know very early in the morning um you spend the whole day doing this sort of basically uh putting um items uh anywhere from uh candy pickers to dildos you know <laughs> and putting them into these robotic shelves and then you come out at the end of the day, 10 hours later, uh, and it was dark again, you know, and repeat uh, that for four depressing. days. Yeah. I mean, the, the motivation obviously was that it was fairly well paid for what you were doing. So you think, well, yeah, you'd think, oh, I really hate this. But on the other hand, I'm being paid decently. Um, so in the sense, again, that was kind of depressing, but there was, you know, there were silver linings, you know uh banter with colleagues and you know all the rest of it and the pay obviously uh and then it got to this lockdown which has for me probably been the worst one because i'm sort of i was doing university applications and, and internship applications from home um but other than that having a decent amount of free time um your mind goes to places it doesn't want to go it does it really anyway. doesn't it and it's kind of um yeah it's probably been the probably been the most difficult one just because i think as well it feels most like a prison sentence because you are in your room for most of the day your options for going out are very limited because you've got the same selection of local parks to go to or sort of you know whatever green spaces which are which is fine for the first bit of time for the first it month or whatever it, doesn't it it gets very repetitive and also the fact that it's it's never sunny or you know it and even yeah, when so, it is, it gets dark about, I mean, it's half past four now as we're recording this or coming up to half past four. And it's already this sort of, this constant dark grey, you know, there's no sort of, um, it's, it's, it's kind drab. of very drab. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. I mean, that's why I get, that's why I'm going out on the bike and not running because if you go out on the bike, it, it widens your area of exploration yeah so yes so i've been going 
So it means instead of going t- five miles, you can go 13 or 15 on a loop, and, right. which is lovely. So like yesterday, I went to Crystal Palace and half scared myself to death when I had no brakes. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't realise um, uh, you were at Crystal Palace because it's interesting you say that because I... Uh, before just before the lockdown, I was getting really into my cycling. You had a crash, uh, didn't you? Yes, I did. That that wasn't at Crystal Palace. That was on uh, Norwood Road, I think it was um, near Streatham. Uh, was what it what's that place called? It's Tulse Hill. Then the next one on from that, I can't for the life of me remember. Ah, uh, what's it called? Was it, was it near the Norwood Road Estate? No, no, no. Um, what's that? What, you have that cycling jersey from that cycling club, don't you? What's what cycling uh, club is that? Hearn Hill. Hearn Hill, that's the one. Yes. So I was going from Hearn Hill towards Tulse Hill on the, on Norwood Road. Oh, this, this sounds like an insurance claim form or an audio <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with those, my friend. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and I basically uh, winded myself by. Uh, trying to um go maximum attack uphill in a smart coat and trousers i'd worn to a lecture got overheated um comp- had like a sugar crash or something and then didn't turn on the br- turn on the brakes i didn't use the brakes and crash into the back of a ford tipper uh ended up with a few stitches uh in my hand and um that was an exciting an exciting story but no uh, crystal palace was just before the lockdown and i tried to navigate back from uh one of my friends houses in eltham back to tulse hill without a map and ended up going through about four or five different boroughs of london uh completely in the wrong direction before at dusk cycling all the way up to crystal palace and cycling down thinking geez like this is extremely steep i mean you know that one i think the steepest hill in london is near crystal palace i think it is yeah i mean the route i i mean most london's quite flat and yesterday was the first time i went that way and i was i I just the hill i got just the the, it just goes from quite flat around stratum area and then suddenly you get anywhere near crystal palace and it becomes (laughs) mountainous yeah it really does I mean, Jeez. it's insane. Like yesterday, I had a bit of a near miss. Like, my, my bike was living in a shed for two years before I got out in like February. And I came down the hill and I saw this car ahead of me stop, like come to a dead stop. And I thought, well, uh, one must apply the brakes. I applied both brakes and I was like, uh, oh, this is interesting. I'm not stopping. I'm really, no, genuinely, I'm slowing down, but I'm not stopping in time. And the thing is, my rear tire's slightly worn, which means if I pull the lever any further, it would lock. And if it locks, then you're in real doo-doo. Because yeah. then, then you're officially out of control. And so eventually I, I, I thought, what can I do now? I've got no bell. So I just went, no, 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 no. And put my right foot down and sort of used that to bring me to a halt about an inch or two from the rear bumper. But it was definitely a code brown. Wow. But the is you, you need that momentum in order to get out the side of the to get up the other side, which is also incredibly steep. But because it's wet and damp and there's, you know, but the banana skin's just round the corner, you you sort of you've got to really balance it because it's wet. But you need the momentum. But if you go too quickly, you haven't got the brakes to stop if, for example, someone pulls out. That really does sound like a code brown moment, adrenaline fueled. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. you, you get you get back drenched, but very very sweaty as well. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, was it raining or wet at the time when this happened? Oh, like it was very very light drizzle. Okay, that's interesting. But it had, but the ground was wet. I know you can have a brown pants moment when it's raining and you've got. Um, v brakes on your bike not disc brakes but the ones that rub against the rim of the tire I've got those, yeah. of the wheel yeah well you've got the rim brakes rim brakes yeah yeah so what they do is they have a tendency of not really working when it's raining i didn't and, know this uh, yeah <laughs> it's just because it's just it just becomes one wet surface on another yeah that is pretty much it yeah i, I mean if you cycle with the brakes on they will quickly heat up and then they'll work a bit better but um yeah it, they're not amazing, I must say. No, um, it's not in the, fun. In the wet. 
No, it's it's. It, I mean, to be honest, riding a bike on a, with a slightly worn rear tire, it is quite good fun because it means you are slightly on edge when you first start riding. Because once yeah. you like when you for the first like mile or two, you are kind of aware that this hasn't got any heat in it. But then once it's got heat in it, it's fine. You can kind of you can move about a bit. But yeah, it's just I I went for a ride the other night and I went over a white line. And I could just feel my rear tire going don't like this don't like this it's quite slippy it's a bit slippy for me that white line could you please avoid it and i was like okay this is sketchy but it's good fun like i i, I like having a bit of slip at the rear though just as long as it's not brown slip and then we're all fine wow this podcast took an interesting turn um yeah yeah uh yeah i i, I love cycling as well um and i was using zwift a lot just because Oh man, my bike's yeah. in a state. Uh, well, I, well, I was about to ask you what, because what, I'm surprised you haven't been out. Yeah, uh, I I should bike. do really. I suppose it's just I need to invest money in my bike. Really, I want to get. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail on on the risk of boring the listeners, or I can just cut it out. Well, so it's, just it's just called the broadcast, after all. <laughs> <laughs> True. So I wanted to get uh, upgrade to seven hundred C wheels, which is basically the modern specification of wheel, which is slightly smaller than the old seventies um, style that my bike has. Um, and also, for that, that's fine. I can do that. I'll need to spend for like one hundred and fifty quid on on upgrading the wheels, which can be used in a new bike. Uh, when I get it down the road um so that's 150 quid then I also to do that I need to get a rear brake caliper um which is another 15 quid then I also want to upgrade the brake levers um or rather change them to a different style because I've got the ones where which are more meant for commuting you know where you can kind of um pull them up um from when if you're holding the bars like you would on a conventional bike whereas the ones I want to get will be more like racing brakes where you've only got the option of pressing them uh, hard to demonstrate without 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 uh, a picture to show but um, yes yeah, so basically um, I want to upgrade the, the brake levers as well uh, and the m- critical thing what I haven't been out is just because currently with my wheels now and the tyres especially uh, they're not exactly safe to go out currently I don't think um, I have cycled to Amazon and back a few times and that was quite fun um, it's quite challenging because um, a lot of hills in Bristol um, but yeah I, I do need to get into it it's just that routine isn't it you can do it once or twice um, but you need to have the enthusiasm um, to do it on a daily basis even on the days when you feel like you really don't want to do it you know yeah, uh, and I, I had that enthusiasm think... back in June but now sort of less so I think um I think Zwift would probably help with that. Zwift is this app where you can connect your um, cadence and uh, speed ometers to a computer, and it's basically a game because it's a 3D model of yourself and you cycle in this environment with other players at the same time. And so there's this competitive element there, and sort of. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll have to get back into that. Um, I mean, I definitely think you're right. The competitive element helps, like whether you're chasing someone on an e-scooter or a bicycle, or you've managed to slip into the draft of another car. Yeah. Like, are you can the draft really works even when they're doing thirty miles an hour. You can just sort of sit about six feet behind them. So as you, that is true. As, and you can like, oh, this is quite nice. But of course, you then you're, because you're six feet to get because you're only six feet behind them to get a draft, you kind of do have to be Johnny on the spot. But yeah, all of my cycling gear. If, I, if, if there's only one improvement I want to make, apart from changing the brakes, and you know maybe the rear tire, it's getting some toe straps because I kept procrastinating about this, and I eventually bought some toe straps a few months ago, and they were the wrong ones. Like, oh they, no! They, well, they involved they, they, they so they came. So I thought they were toe straps. They, 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 they look to be toe straps, which were just attached to my pedals. Then they arrived and they were actually toe straps which were molded to the pedal itself. So I thought, that's easy. I'll just take off my pedals, which is simple. There's a spanner slot. You undo them and pop it back on. However, my um, 
my pedals are attached to my bike via rust. It's seized on there. It's like it just so it's all sitting there with these useless toe straps, which are useless toe strap pedals, which I can't use because I can't get off my pedals. So it's um I've had to I've had to go on go and order some toe straps which aren't molded to pedals. And so it's it's a so like what I've been using in the interior is I've been using some elastic to hold my feet onto the pedals. I mean it's a solution, I suppose, yeah. Um I mean, have you tried well, any W D forty on the pedals? Uh not yet, but I've to be fair, I have all like a few days ago I ordered some new toe straps. So I'm just like I might as well just wait until those arrive. Fair enough, yeah. Um, but I do, I do like cycling around London, and all my gears hand me down, so it's quite comfy. It's quite worn in. Yeah. Um, and I do, I think so. I, I, I have considered Swift Turbo Trainer, etc., in the past, but I just the thrill of riding around London. Or the oh, thrill it's of just riding, unmatchable, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's a chance of death or serious injury, and because that you have to be aware. <laughs> like it, it, it reminds me of when I used to race go karts for the university. Yeah. You know. Oh, yes. That is so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, rem- I remember the ex- the exact same feeling um, when I was doing the the London commute last year. Yeah. But there's that feeling of sort of imminent danger, even though you know there's a high chance there won't be any danger. There's that feeling of, you know, these go karts they do 60 miles, 60, 65 miles an hour, and when you're and if they wanted to, they would spit you off. I mean, and it could hurt. And like I used to do 24 hour races using yeah. four-stroke go-karts. And these four-stroke go-karts were only about five miles an hour slower than the two-stroke go-karts we used. But the, the reason why we used four-stroke is because it was just, they lasted longer. But if they wanted to, they could spit you off. And a, a couple of times they did. And so you, when you're really on it, when you're really trying to concentrate at like 11 o'clock at night and you've got sparks coming off the go-kart in front. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this quick story. First time I ever did the first or second time I ever did, did a twenty four hour go kart race, they didn't they didn't um, tighten the fuel tank cap correctly. So after two laps, my left leg was soaked in fuel, Ooh. and I was driving around, and it was about eleven thirty at night, and there were sparks coming off the cart in front Ooh. and hitting the go kart. So I thought, and so eventually you think sparks plus a leg soaked in petrol equals massive flame. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't go off. And so I ended up coming into the pits and getting some more fuel and fixing it. Um, but And I expected after that, when I take off my overalls, I'm going to have some pretty nasty petrol burns. Yeah. But, but because I've been sweating so much, uh, I didn't get burned. Wow. But yeah, it's the, but the thing about London, as you know, is cycling in it. It's, there's so much going on. It's so hectic. It's, it really yeah. is, yeah. You just you you sort of get to the end. And you're like, yes, that might have been a bit frustrating, but by God, that was fun. Oh, it is, isn't it? It it is like that um, sort of an equivalent for karting in the in 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 lockdown or in just every day. You know, it's I guess you could say a, a cheaper version of it as well. And it's that you know when you're it, it, what I like to call of sort. Of, eh. I used to particularly enjoy the rush hour you know when you're racing against maybe 25 other commuters uh, on the cycle paths and ah oh, it's just so much fun you know and inevitably there'd be people chasing you or or they'd overtake you and there'd be the sort of unwritten agreement you know that you would um that you would be racing against these other people and you would overtake them they would overtake you and you'd really push yourself also you get in their slipstream so you become the sort of strange little strange little peloton you do don't you yeah and that's also um, quite cool in of itself you know um yeah i don't know it's just i I do really miss that um and yeah um we'll definitely have to get back into that in some form or another definitely i mean i'm i mean I'm, i mean i would love to do london to brighton just as a trip because i did yeah. it when i was 16 on a battered old on my mum's old bike and I would actually like to do it again because now I've got the gear, now I've got the bicycle, which is in some sort of condition, and actually just because London, like I said, we can extol the virtues of running in London, but it's it's quite uncomfortable and it's quite stop-start at times. It is. It like, is. Yesterday I went over a speed. Yesterday I went over a pothole. It bounced out my Allen key. Ooh. 
That's yeah. my anarchy. I, I lost my anarchy in the middle of this intersection or crossroads. Yeah, crossroads. And I couldn't find it because it was dark grey. And what's atomic? Dark grey. And it was five o'clock in the evening. So I still spent the rest of the ride with my seat at the wrong angle, which meant, oh. to not to be too blunt about it, I had crushed nuts at the end. <laughs> Yeah, it's difficult to find that rhythm, isn't it, in, in London? Because you think, right, I'm about to overtake this person, you know, I've got a nice pace going, and then suddenly traffic lights, and you lose all that. You sort of, it's difficult to get it going again. Whereas with London to Brighton, it is it is fantastic. I think my, what I definitely like to improve on from last time I did it, which was 2018, uh, obviously I prefer to be a bit better trained than I was last time. And the other thing which is worth considering investing in is a compact chain set because there is you know be is it called beacon hill i think it is ditchling beacon ditchling, ditchling Ditch. beacon that's the one ditchling beacon that is a an absolute um well to put it bluntly a motherfucker of a hill i mean it for the for the you know amateur cyclist oh my goodness because you've been r- cycling for tens of miles at that point you know yes um and it's the last thing before you descend into brighton and i tried <laughs> i really tried but like 90 percent of other people i had to get off get my off bike and walk. walk up most of it um you know so and a compact chain set basically is what the pros use as well it basically changes your gear ratios to make it to lower like i think it's, it's much easier to cycle up hills um and uh yeah i'd probably well i'd definitely consider investing in that before the next one um mm. the one yeah. i think i'd what my big investment will be actually getting my own kit because i'm Your using bike and so on and my own like no, my own bike my own bib shorts okay at the moment at the moment i'm just using hand-me-downs for my brother who was a bit more muscly in the leg department ah, right, and a yeah. bit taller. And oh, it's so, definitely worth doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the reason why I'm not buying any at the moment is because it's winter and I actually, I'm not that fussed. I'm like, I'm yeah. not going for, my, my rides aren't any longer than 13 miles at the moment. So I'm like, yeah, it's all right, I can deal with this. But I just sort of think going forward, yeah, that will, well, I mean, I'm, what's going to happen is I'm definitely going to, at some point, I'm definitely going to spend a day just setting up my bike. Like Fair enough. somewhere like Richmond Park or somewhere else, somewhere like that, and just do an app, change setup, do it. Because it, it's, it's what's it, I've had, I've had these moments where, like, for two or three miles, I've been comfortable. And I'm like, this is amazing. I could go forever. And then you go over a speed bump in London and you're, suddenly the seat goes back, the seat goes up, and it's like, oh, God, I'm so comfy. <laughs> um, but I was actually going to say, like, your base, if, if, like we we we've talked to each other about we're doing this a trip to Triffin in yes. the summer. Yeah. What I would love to do is actually, and I'm not sure if you if 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 this would be allowed. Like it'd be great to go to Bath and then ride from Bath to Bristol. Yes, that is lovely. a very um, well-known cycle route. I've never done it much before, and it would be great to give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. Uh, so yeah, I, I, so that, I mean, if you'd be up for that, like I could get a train to Bristol and then we could ride together from B- Bristol to Bath, which I think would be quite fun. Yeah, that would be that would be great fun. Yeah, because um the and what's interesting as well, the train station um uh, the path starts literally next to Temple Meads train station as well. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's very well connected that route as well. You know, um. Mm. It's very popular, very popular amongst cyclists. Yeah. I nearly yeah. went to a U- I nearly went to university. At, I nearly went to Bath Uni actually. Oh really? Yeah. That, oh, of course that, you did. You were going to do a journalism masters. Uh, business management actually, and oh, was it business management? Yeah, and that day I made the mistake of going into lots of not rural areas. I took a lot of like you know track tracks to get up the hill. I decided for whatever reason to walk up the massive hill to Bath Uni. Ended up going along these sort of farm tracks that were next to the road instead of taking the pavement. I, it was a warm, damp day, and I wasn't wearing any insect repellent, and I got bitten to death. No, like no. I got, I think, twenty-four insect bites. That is an achievement. It is. <laughs> I had, I had nine on one knee. Can't imagine that. It's, this sounds absolutely infested. Yeah, it was terrible. And then a few days later, they then. 
because there were three bunches of it was like a bunch of nine a bunch of seven and a bunch of a uh, few others and they eventually then congealed into three purple spots Ugh. which are about the size of a small mug in terms of like the circular circumference and so I looked like I looked like I had HIV lesions on my legs horrible oh dear so top uh. tip kids wear insect repellent if you're gonna go in bath on a warm damp day <laughs> sorry for that yeah. sorry for that segue well, I think going into the last topic that I wanted to um, discuss was we have had three lockdowns now, haven't we? Have, I think that's right, isn't it? Uh, yeah, three lockdowns. Which for you was the best one and which was the worst? Oh, that's a tough question. Because that's not the way of saying. Which, disease, which three diseases would you not mind getting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God. Uh, I'd say... It's tough. No, actually, no, actually, lock. That's a lie. Lockdown two was the easiest. I, I think probably agree with you there. Yeah, lockdown two was the easiest, and I think reason for that was because university. In uni, I wasn't yet thinking too much about the exams, but it was still university, so I still had that keeping my mind occupied. Lock, and then oh, it's a toss up. Which is the least worst? Lockdown one or lockdown two? Um... Oh dear! I've had more mental health issues in lockdown three, and it's hard to I judge. I think everyone lockdown. has actually. I think, but strangely, and oh God, I want to say lockdown three was the worst, but I don't know. It's really tough because lockdown three, we're now sort of used to it, so it's hard to judge it independently. So here's I what I would I, say on the matter. I think for me, lockdown three is probably the worst, just because lockdown one it was still fairly new to us. So we had plenty of sort of fucks to give, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, or no, it's just that we had a lot more energy uh, to expend in it was not novel. minding. Yeah, yeah, not minding all, because it's all new and there was a sort of a novelty to it. Well, that's probably the wrong word to use. It was new and, and, there, and you know, it, there was a certain, okay, you know, uh, when things are... Yeah, when things are new, you kind of, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was new. But the and also it was summer, so the days were much longer. Going outside mm. was nicer. Um, you going in the garden was more of an option because you could have a barbecue or whatever, and that was fine. You could sunbathe. Now it's like lockdown three. I don't see. I mean, there's obviously some hope with vaccines, which is some gives it some plus points. Um, but it's also shorter days, worse weather, colder, and um, more people are dying. So and that as well, yeah. I, we, I which think is, you're right. Yeah, although it's freakish how much I don't know about you, but how much I've normalised the extent of death. I mean, it used to really shock me in the past, whereas now it's kind of it's so much that you, for me at least, I've kind of it doesn't shock me as much as it used to, which sort of concerns me a bit yeah i think uh, i think you're right about first with regards to lockdowns like two's burst one's okay three's worst um but i think with regards to death i think it's hard to because we are you're right because we're so used to the numbers when they still <coughs> 1600 1200 people died it's hard to put that into words because it's just a number like 32 or 103 or 122 yeah. or something like that but then you think but i think it's only once you start to think about what that means or equate that to certain things so when you think about a hundred thousand people that's wembley yeah that's a football stadium worth of worth people. of people yeah no actually it no actually if you think about it it's it's the olympic stadium before it was given to West Ham, because before the Olympic Stadium in East London was given to West Ham, it had a capacity of 100,000. Yeah. And I think, however, it's more than two Stamford Bridges, because Stamford Bridges is the Chelsea ground, and that has a capacity of 44,000. I mean, it's just an unthinkable, just a huge number of people, you know, really difficult to comprehend number of people. Well, it's exceeded the number of civilians who were killed in World War One and World War Two. Well, it's exceeded the number of UK yeah. civilians. 
And yeah, so I think no, it's, it's it's only when you and crazy. also I think it's it the best way to remind yourself to stop yourself becoming immunized to the numbers as they come in is just to think about how it's more than just a thousand more than just one person because every person has a family every person has a brother sister daughter or whatever everyone has a relative so it's for me it's it's not a case of a hundred for me it's not a case of a hundred thousand people it's a hundred thousand families and if you think about how many yeah, I think that's why it's, a, it's important to focus on young people because so many young people, yes, they haven't, not many proportionally young people have died, but think about who they've lost. They've lost their mums, their dads, their uncles, their grandfathers. They've lost those moments with them, which they wouldn't, which they would have been able to have anyway. And a lot of this is down, and I'm not saying a lot of this is down to government incompetence. I mean, so far the government's got it right with the vaccines, but let's not forget this is the same government which delayed all three lockdowns. This is the same government which fought the experts to try and have Christmas bubbles. This is the same government which let the Cheltenham Festival go ahead, which spent millions on a test and trace system which didn't work, which gave contracts to its cronies in a form of democracy without any proper vetting. It's been, it's, you know, I, I, mean, I know we've got the new variants and I know that's been a big, big, big driver of recent cases, but you can't, and I know not everyone's been obeying the rules. We've discussed this with masks and so on and social distancing, but you can't, that doesn't absolve the government of blame. And so it's, I mean, the, I mean for me, I think a lot of deaths could have been avoided if they'd fired Dominic Cummings, personally. I'll if probably agree with that, actually. It, it, again, there's this debate now, isn't there? To what extent is it? a result of the public not acting in accordance with regulations and to what extent is it as a result of government incompetence and a lot of people I think are trying to play down the government incompetence which is a really irresponsible thing to do because it's clear in plain sight the decisions were taken far too late and that's not a that's not a party that's not a party political thing or it's just objective fact um and there will be an inquiry uh, when it happens is another question, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, a lot of people after this, um, after a lot of this pandemic, a lot of people are going to be very politically motivated. A lot of young people, a lot of people in general, are going to be very politically motivated because a lot of people will see the government as being responsible, and I'm not saying they are, but a lot of people will see this government as being responsible for the death of their loved ones. That's true. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, how you know, that plays I mean, out. It's just by saying the I I mean I think there's a chance we could have a general election before 2024, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and that's well, where I don't. That's where you, talking I don't for another know what grounds? What on what grounds do you see that happening? I think that's because there's going to be lots of public outrage and anger. You know, I feel like if Labour can build up enough momentum. And if the opinion polls keep swinging their way, then Labour might see... And if enough Tory MPs are discontented with the government, then, because we would need a two-thirds majority vote to have another general election, I think there would be a, I think there'd be a lot of people who would think, well, actually, I've lost my loved one. We've had 10 years of Tory rule of austerity. There's a danger the NHS is in trouble with regards to trade deal. Maybe it's time for a new leadership. I mean, it's not guaranteed, obviously, but it's. I think it's a topic for another for another episode of for another podcast episode. But it's. I'm not ruling it out as a possibility myself, even though it's more likely than not that the next general election will be 2024. Well, we'll have to see how things play out, mm. and um, yeah, I think we've pretty much come to the end of the topics we we're going to discuss for today. So, um, actually, what are you up to in the next week? Or what are your plans going forward for the next few days? Right, so I'm still applying for jobs because I've got all my applications in now pretty much um, and just waiting to see if I get any replies really. Um, plenty of jobs going that are kind of frontline jobs if you see what I mean. So things where you can, where you're required to mix with potentially COVID positive people. Remote working jobs are a little harder to come by, but I'm 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 trying to I'm you know if I I think I've decided if I don't get um if I don't manage to get a remote working job I'll have to see what in person jobs are available um yeah and and make a decision there but we'll we'll see yeah uh, uh what what are your plans sort of for the next week 
So I've got my so I've started turn two of my degree, uh, okay. which is it's yeah it's like I've I've entered a world full of new terms and four new modules. So it's like everything looks like gibberish at the moment, but I'm slowly learning that some of it isn't gibberish. Um, but yeah, I'm applying for internships. You know, uh, I've signed up to become a St John's volunteer vaccinator. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm just waiting for my DBS check to come back. I passed the interview, which was good. Um, and so you know in a few weeks March say I could be out there vaccinating people which would be good wow. um, legally of course um, uh, but I'm applying for internships you know I've given I've got an internal deadline of January 31st to decide what I want to do with my life yeah uh, I've had this since November so it's not like I've suddenly decided but like back in November I thought well actually I want to know where I'm going what I'm going to be going after so I'll give myself until 31st of January to decide what I'm doing, where I'm going, which career sector I'm going into. Uh, and so that way I can put all my energies towards that and that way I can word everything I do in my cover letters around that. And so th- by like, this day, I mean, long time I want to go to politics myself, but I've got to be in something before I'm in politics before that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, something, yeah, some sort of experience. So yeah, so have a job before going to politics, so have a bit more legitimacy. So my deadline, I have a deadline today for us to Jan to decide, right, this is the direction I'm going, this is the sector, this is the industry, just so I have that focus. Okay, and, and what, what industry would that be? Uh, public affairs at the moment. Uh, okay. Public affairs, you know, uh, helping companies, you know, navigate the political environment and make decisions and build policy around that. Uh, and you know, if I can't get a job or internship there, then I've still got a deferred journalism degree. Yeah. At City University, which I've got, which I I was meant to start it this the September just gone, but I deferred until next September. So, if shit if shiite hits the fan, oh sorry, <laughs> if sugar hits the fan, then I can still go and become a qualified journalist. Well, that certainly seems like a yeah. It seems like you've got your shit sorted out so which is um, weird for me if you ask if you ask my parents they would say no he hasn't <laughs> <laughs> well in these times i would certainly say it does seem like you do um so that is sort of the end of this episode and mm. we'll see um, how this goes i mean yeah we'll see how this like goes it. yeah i've enjoyed this um and uh yeah i guess we'll yeah we'll do another one i don't know We'll see when. I mean, we'll see. We'll see when. All right, good stuff. Well, um, yeah, we'll see everyone next time then. Yeah, I'll see you next time. And everyone stay safe and, yeah, stay alive. (laughs) Yep, see ya.